My name is Riley Murtha, and I am a mindset, self-love, and personal development coach, and also your host. This is Life and Shit, the podcast, where we discuss anything and everything. My intention with this podcast is simple, to create authentic, raw, real, relatable, all-encompassing conversations about life that offer unique perspectives around what it means to live well, what it means to truly feel good, and how we can achieve these things. So thank you so much for being here, and let's get to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back. The Life and Ship Podcast, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. I am so excited to be getting back to the podcast. Life has been wild lately. So many changes. After 18 months of being a nomad and traveling and working online, I am no longer, I can no longer identify with the title of Digital Nomad. I am back in Canada and I have a home for the first time in almost two years, which is feeling so good. I will be recording a life update episode for you guys very soon. I'm getting so many questions and I would love to tell you more about what's been motivating my recent decisions and my change of lifestyle and what's going on. So that is coming soon. But for today, I am so excited to introduce you to this guest. Zach Slobin is someone that I was introduced to in 2019. I have been following him for quite a few years now. I was introduced to him during my time in the network marketing world. He was a keynote speaker at an event that I was very blessed to be able to attend in Nashville, and he instantly captivated me with his way of speaking and his perspective and his mindset. I find him to be such a powerful speaker and he has such an amazing way of sharing knowledge and wisdom. So I am so grateful for the opportunity to sit down with him, to have this conversation with him and to bring him into the life and shit world in order to share all of that wisdom and his perspective with all of you. We, in this episode, talk about, of course, life and shit. We talk about mindset. We talk about business. Zach is a very successful entrepreneur who does a lot of coaching around um, the entrepreneurship journey. Um, He's a sales expert. He is a mindset guru. So we talk a lot about all of those things as well. He shares with us his journey with microdosing psilocybin, which I know is a very popular topic in this community. So I think that you will really enjoy. So let's get to it. I just got this. Oh my gosh. It's actually, see that that piece up there? Oh yeah. Eden made that. Eden's up as an artist and she does collage and she works with a ton of mushrooms and she actually, it's a spiritual practice and there's these beings that she creates. It's fucking nuts. But anyway. So cool. That's so cool that she designed it. Yeah, she, um, I can, I can send you on IG some of her bigger work. She, we went, I, I started down the plant medicine path about a year and a half ago. And then she kind of started following afterwards. And then in October, we both said yes to going to do ayahuasca and before we ever sat with the medicine it was like yo the medicine's speaking to me i can't stop seeing these things and whatnot and she just started creating and literally today she's moving into a studio down the street from our house and 
we're doing a show for her in Austin and she just commissioned her first big piece and it's bananas. That is so cool. That's amazing. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you about that because you messaged me when you or shortly after you had started microdosing, um, sharing your experience, which was so cool to hear. Um, I want to talk more about that, but maybe um, we're recording. So let's introduce you and we'll get to it. (laughs) So welcome. Welcome to Life and Shit, the podcast, Zach. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm always uh, honored and humbled when somebody wants to invite me into their space and into their community. So uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. We've actually been connected for a while. I was looking back at our conversation today, and I think the first time I heard you speak was, well, I know because I looked, it was 2019. Where were we? I think in Nashville or something, and you were on stage speaking, and that conversation really resonated for me. And yeah, I've been following your your journey and appreciating your content ever since. So um I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself and maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your story and how you've come to be doing what you're doing right now. Uh, the whole story would take up the entire podcast, so I'll, uh, I'll keep it Cliff's Notes version. Um, from the time I was a little kid, I questioned everything about life. I questioned the nature of reality I questioned uh, why organized religion existed. I questioned the concept of God. I questioned why people worked the way that they worked, dressed the way that they dressed, treated each other the way that they treated each other. And from a very young age, I just knew that the world that I observed was not the world that I wanted to play in, meaning I wasn't really willing to settle for the status quo. So I'm someone who's been psychologically unemployable my entire life. I've never held a job longer than seven months uh, ever. Um, And I was someone who was always willing to fail. And years ago, and I kind of liked the way that the author wrote it, there was a little magazine article published about me um, called Failing My Way to Freedom. Mm. And that's, that's really me in a nutshell. I, uh, I've, had multiple businesses. I ate, as Gary Vanderchuk says, I ate a ton of shit in my 20s. Um, so started businesses, a lot of them failed, some were successful. Um, I was an idiot with my money. Um, and it took me a while to really come into an understanding of who I am and how I want to show up and operate in the world. And I've been really blessed over the last, I'd say, 10 or 11 years to um, create a life that um, on paper is exactly what I was hoping to create. So I'm married to a woman who I love and adore and loves and adores me and we're each other's champions. We built a huge business together over the course of 10 years. Um, From a career perspective, I'm a transformational speaker and teacher. I'm a consultant. I'm an advisor. Um, I'm a partner in a startup series, A, B, and C companies, blah, 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 and all that jazz. Um, and that's kind of me in a nutshell. And I think that beyond that, I'm just a person who believes in ruthless honesty with compassion. And I'm a deep doubt believer in what's possible when we stop believing the bullshit lies that we tell ourselves. That's who I would say I am. I love it. And that makes perfect sense why everything you say resonates with me. <laughs> um, immediately what you said about questioning everything I am the very same way and I've always been that way and I need to figure things out for myself and I need to understand why I'm doing something I cannot follow the status quo and 
you know, at this point in my life and knowing more about myself and more about what I know and human design and all these different things, it all makes perfect sense to me at this point, why I am the way that I am. But I also studied sociology in university and that was something that I completely stumbled upon. I didn't know what it was. And it was that same feeling of like, but why are we doing all of these things? Why do humans do what they do? And it was so fascinating to me to get my foot in that door and start to explore and question things and create that understanding for myself. And people at the time were like, what are you going to do with a sociology degree? And I was like, I have no idea, but it makes sense to me and it fascinates me and it's keeping me engaged. So we're going to go with it. And it's amazing that my journey has taken so many twists and turned and twists and turns and ended me up here where my day-to-day life and my work is so sociological and we do get to have these amazing conversations and we do get to question things and get curious my business now is all about curiosity curiosity is what breeds self-awareness what breeds clarity and understanding so i love that you've had that same approach to life and it sounds like we also have a lot in common in terms of figuring out what doesn't work in order to figure out what does, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs have in common. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, um, this is something that I talk about a lot in my business and I, I see you speaking around this kind of idea and topic as well. And you've kind of touched on that already in what you've shared, but what is your definition of success? Like, how are you understanding the idea of success at this stage of your life? Yeah, I think it's it's certainly shifted over the years. I mean, definitely when I was younger, I had what my mom described as a kernel of grandiosity, right? So for me, success was millions and millions of dollars and, you know, the houses and the cars and the trophy wife and all of that stuff. And as I pursued all of that and I was miserable within it, um, I started to redefine what success meant for me. And really what success is for me is the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, however I want. That's success for me. But beyond that, Um, Success for me is knowing who I am and being in complete ownership of all of my parts and being willing to look back on my past and the choices that I've made with nothing but gratitude, compassion, forgiveness, and appreciation. And more importantly, I think success to me is when we're able to move from this idea of look at me, right? And we're in such a look at me society, look at me, look how good I look, look how, how attractive I am, look at the clothes that I wear, the house that I live in, the filters that I use on social, look, 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 look. When we can move from a place of look at me to here the fuck I am, here I am. That's success to me. I That's love it. that. Complete alignment, complete congruency, complete acceptance, complete ownership of all of our parts, having nothing to do with money um, or houses or cars, and not that those things don't matter, because they do, and I just think people who say those things that have made a lot of money are full of shit. It's very frustrating for me when I hear people that have made a lot of money say money doesn't matter. Money matters. It absolutely matters. I don't apologize for it. But ultimately, the feeling of success, I really believe, comes from a place of just being really content with who I am, where I've been, what I've done, and how I show up in any given moment. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's something that's always stood out to me. I I think I've heard you speak a couple of times in the past and your your passion around authenticity 
and being like radical self-acceptance and, and knowing who you are and loving who you are. That's obviously very in alignment with everything that I value and everything that I teach. And that's something that has always stood out to me. I was looking at some of the messages I had sent you years ago, and I, it was always around this concept of authenticity and being genuine and knowing who you are and feeling comfortable expressing that. Yeah, what I learned and something that I say quite a bit, and the word authenticity, and I think you probably would agree with this at this point, is relatively kind of played out even. It's almost becoming a trite saying, unfortunately. But what I, what I do believe to be true is that um, people should choose authenticity it's because when we don't live transparently is when people can see right through us. Yeah. And I, and I know that for me, when I lived in a place of wearing a mask, of trying to... Uh, assume the role of certain archetypes of living life based on who I thought I was supposed to be that I suffered. I suffered in every single area of my life. I suffered relationally. I suffered financially. I suffered communally. And most importantly, I suffered individually. Um, And when I came to the realization that my scars are what make my canvas a masterpiece. And when I decided to start playing the game of life with my cards face up, that's when everything in my life improved. Everything. When I literally came to the table and said, this is it. This is where I've been. These are the choices that I've made. These are the things that I've done in my past. And I'm okay with them. So you either can be okay with them or you can judge me for them and your judgment is irrelevant to me because I can assure you, you will never judge yourself as hard as I was judging myself when I was ready to take my own life, ever, ever, ever. So this is it, folks. This is what you get, right? And it's not from the frame of I'm not committed to continually growing and evolving as a human. Of course I am. But it's also from the construct of, you know, I'm not proud that I spent years, you know, snorting lines of cocaine all weekend long, and I'm not ashamed of it either. You know, I'm not proud that I called off my wedding two weeks after the save the date invitations had gone out years and years ago, but I'm also not ashamed of it either. I'm not proud that I was ready to take my own life, but I'm not ashamed of it either. You know what I mean? I'm really in complete harmony with those aspects of myself and when I really allowed myself to come into the awareness that those things and those choices were fundamental for my own personal evolution and my own personal growth that's when I really started to fall in love with myself in a real way in a tangible way in a measurable way in a way that when I wasn't feeling good, I could just bring myself back to that understanding about who I am beyond all the bullshit and all the stories and all the insecurities and all the doubt and all the judgment and all the criticism. Yeah, that's powerful. That was so well said. And I was going to ask you specifically, like what some of those pieces were for my own understanding and for anyone listening, because it all makes sense. And it's so poetic the way that you're speaking it. And then it's like, okay, but what does that mean? Right? Like, what are these pieces of ourself that we need to reintegrate or come to terms with or allow to be seen? And I relate to a lot of not not the proposal and stuff like that. But my past, instead of allowing it to bring me shame or let it feel like something that I need to hide, I very much try to show it and 
and be relatable in that way and try and help people because I know that that experience is something that I was going through for a reason. There was something that was creating that storm that was creating this party monster as super reckless and out just sabotaging myself in every way. So having that lens and knowing that that was the journey that I needed to go through to get me to where I am now and using that to help people better understand themselves has been a really healing part of that journey for me. And I mean, the word, the word healing is about wholeness, right? And without that darkness, this is a conversation I have all the time with my clients because at times we can feel victimized by all the hardship and the the stuff that we've gone through, especially as you start to become more self-aware, but it's not, we don't get to be in the light. You don't get to become self-aware without going through the the darkness and dealing with the shit. So it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only is it not only do we not get to be in the light without going into the darkness, but one can't exist without the other, mm-hmm. right? And that's the other side of it is it's not like, you know, we come into this place of like self-awareness and we don't still have shadow aspects to who we are, right? There's polarities and duality and everything. And I think the big thing for me was also learning that, you know, because one of the masks I wore was a huge mask of arrogance. I was extremely arrogant. And what I came to the understanding of was, okay, wait a minute. So if there's shadow and light, if there's darkness and light, if there's polarities and dualities and everything, and I had amazing mentors and coaches and whatnot in my life as I was you know, going through my own healing journey, but one of the things that they brought to my awareness was, okay, well, what's the other side of arrogance? And the other side of arrogance is confidence. And what's the other side of depression? The other side of depression is, is joy. And what's the other side of fear? The other side of fear is, 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 is love, right? And what's the other side of, you know, of, 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 of anger is acceptance. And so this learning how to dance with my darkness, learning how to move with all these different components that we might label as being dark aren't inherently bad. Dark doesn't mean bad. Dark doesn't mean negative. Dark just means the opposite side of something that we are most likely limiting ourselves from fully expressing. And we can come into the full expression of that dark aspect of who we are. Well, now we can shine our light a bit more powerfully. We can inspire more people. We can give other people kind of a roadmap, if you will, to their own transformational journey. And in my opinion, that's one of the greatest services we could ever give to humanity. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. There's so much... Like you said, everything exists in that in that polarity. There's there's two sides to everything, and everything is about finding your balance. And everybody's balance is also a little bit different. We need to spend that time getting to know ourselves and figuring out what that what that looks like, and getting comfortable playing in that and letting it be messy and exploring within that. I love the way that you said that. Um, when I was looking at your social media today, I noticed that you ha- had a recent reel or some content about the idea of getting unstuck, which stood out to me because that's been for the last two years. The, the premise of all the work that I'm doing with everyone is this idea of getting unstuck. Um, and that I've noticed really resonates with people and really brings people in. We, we all have at times been in the stuckness. (laughs) So I want to understand from your perspective, what is, what is the stuckness and what does it mean to become unstuck? Well, I actually think it's fascinating language that we use, right? People say that they feel stuck, but the reality is no one's ever stuck. We're constantly in motion, constantly. The question is, 
are you just going through the motions of the motion that you're in? That's the big question. And that's what we tend to find ourselves doing is we tend to find ourselves just going through the motions, telling ourselves the same old stories, playing the victim. Of course, this happens to me. I never, nothing ever works out the way I hoped it would work out. You know, oh, if I come from a, a wealthy family, then it would have been easier for me to experience ABC. If I had just gotten that job, if they had just seen my potential, if this, if that, if this, if that, and we just continue to spin our wheels. And what people spend their time doing is ruminating. And when we're ruminating, we're going around and around in circles, constantly obsessing over the same thoughts. And if people would just invite themselves to move from rumination to contemplation, they start asking better questions. And when we start asking better questions and we start listening for, we start listening for greater senses of clarity, we create progress. And that's something my mom used to hammer into me all the time. And my mom is a brilliant psychotherapist. So I have a huge okay. advantage in terms of my <laughs> emotional well-being and intelligence and what she always would say which she'd say without self-reflection there can be no progress and so again moving from rumination to contemplation are you willing to investigate the questions in a new way are you willing to instead of complaining about things and criticizing things and judging things and blaming everybody for every experience in your life are you willing to ask a couple of simple questions one of my favorite questions to ask somebody is What's the accountable version of the story? What's the accountable version of the story? How did you contribute to the results that you have in your life right now? What's the accountable version? Your boss fired you because your boss is an asshole. Cool, I get it. And were you a great employee? Were you on time every day? Did you show up with enthusiasm? Did you have a great attitude? Were you a team player? Probably not. You might not a bit. But when we're willing to look in the mirror and take radical responsibility and say, yes, you know what? These are the ways I've contributed to my experience in my life right now. Because, and you're willing to make a bold statement. It can be painful. And that statement is this, is that everything you have in your life you deserve and everything you deserve you can have. Everything you have in your life you deserve and everything you deserve, you can have. Now, that can be painful because people will say things like, well, I didn't deserve, for example, I look at it and I go, I didn't deserve for my you know, best friend to die of leukemia when I was seven or eight years old and then to lose a close friend of mine every other year for the next 10 years. I didn't deserve that next necessarily. And, and it gave me the opportunity to come into a deeper appreciation for life. It gave me an opportunity to really decide how I wanted to show up, knowing that at any given moment, my life could be taken away. It allowed me to understand how I needed to treat other people, knowing that they could be removed from my life at any given moment. So I had the ability to incorporate into my life the understanding of, of the valuing of life and the process of life, right? So that type of thing. So that's a big part of it is acknowledgement and acceptance and accountability of our part. And then the next part is, are you willing to reframe and recontextualize the stories that you tell yourself, right? So I talk about this all the time, which is, I'll give you a loose scenario, right? Hypothetical. So we're going to pretend, Riley, that you're a little girl, you're four years old, and your dad gives you a cupcake for dessert. And you eat the cupcake, and you love the cupcake, and you say, I want another cupcake. And your dad says, no, 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 you, you, you've already had enough. And the four-year-old little girl 
irrationally decides, oh, I'm not allowed to have a cupcake. Daddy must think I'm fat. I must not be lovable. Oh, yeah. As a four-year-old girl. (laughs) And we create these irrational stories. And then what we do is we go to work on finding evidence that these stories are true. So we find ourselves in relationships where we show up as now no longer being worthy or lovable. And then we say, see, I knew it would happen. I knew it would happen. These things always happen to me. But what if we can recontextualize it and reframe it? Because if you were able to put yourself in your dad's shoes, potentially, or your mom's shoes or whoever it was in that situation, and ask yourself the question of, well, why wouldn't they want me to have another cupcake? What's the truth of the answer? The truth of the answer is they probably didn't want you to get a stomachache and they didn't want you to be up all night so you didn't feel well the next day. Completely reasonable reasons not to give a four-year-old a second cupcake. And so when you can reframe and recontextualize and have compassion for why this person that created the trauma in your life may have acted in the way that they did, and it doesn't mean that it's right or, or fair and it's along those lines, but when you can recontextualize it and reframe it and ask new questions around it, you can come to a sense of peace and you can come to forgiveness a bit more quickly. And when we move into compassion and forgiveness, well, now we move into a third component, and that's the ability to create, because now we're free. We're free from the story. We're, from, we're free from the beliefs. And now it's, okay, what do I want to create in this new space? What's the identity that I'm now committed to developing in my life? And what are the choices, thoughts, beliefs, habits, and processes that I get to now adhere to in order to create an identity that is chosen as opposed to one that was irrationally decided for me by a little girl, a little boy, or a little person who had no idea what they were choosing into 25, 30, 40 years ago. And that's how we get, quote unquote, unstuck. I love that. It's, yeah, you're speaking my language. I mean, that makes so much sense to me. And it is so, so closely aligned to the frameworks of my programs and my understanding of getting unstuck as well. And the, the first piece of that, what you shared, I actually remember you saying in 2019, and it really resonated with me, that idea of the accountable version of the story and radical responsibility it, I put it on my story and I, I like wrote that out like it very clearly in that moment, like made sense to me and was really resonating for me. So that I love and everything else that you said, it's really similar to how, how I'm understanding getting unstuck. I start my programs, we start with the energy and the emotions and then we get into the stories. And from there, it's really ironic because I came from the fitness industry a few years ago as a personal trainer and it was all about the what it's just it's just the tangible it's just you know about the physical and the goals and the whole this whole business of mine was grew out of my understanding that there was a lot missing and we were kind of working at things backwards and so taking it and flipping it on its head and making it not about the what but about the why and starting to empower people and help them understand their energy and their emotional experience. And then from there, getting into the thought patterns and the stories. And once you've done that, your habits have already changed. You don't have to talk about the habits. Your lifestyle is already going to naturally, organically align with who you are. And you're not going to be swimming upstream and fighting with yourself anymore. Yep. And what also starts to happen is, so the way our egos work is our egos are designed merely to help us survive. That's it, right? And it used to be that, we had to worry about saber-toothed tigers at the watering well. And are we going to be able to, you know, put a roof over our head tonight and have some food? 
And as we've evolved into a modernized world, now the ego fears things like doubt and jealousy and criticism and not being enough and this, that, and the other. And so when we develop these fundamental stories, these misperceptions, these lies of I'm not lovable or I'm not worthy, and we start to seek out that new evidence, the ego is the thing seeking out that evidence because the ego believes that that's what's safe for us to live into. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we start to reframe and reprogram and then take new actions that are, in the word you used, in alignment with the person we want to become, and the ego now observes that it's actually safe for us to take those new actions, the ego will seek those new experiences out on our behalf. The ego seeks new amounts of evidence. Oh, it's safe for me to be loved. It's safe for me to feel worthy. It's safe for me to own who I really am. It's safe for me to express myself. I didn't die, literally. I didn't die when I did those things. And what starts to happen is it's not about ego dissolution. Everyone talks about you have to get rid of the ego. And with all due respect to everybody on the planet, Maybe a handful of avatars have ever existed in, our, in, in, in the history of the world that have literally gone into this place of nirvana enlightenment. But for us everyday humans, if you will, it's not about ego eradication. It's about how can I come into partnership with my ego? Mm -hmm. How can I leverage the ego to work on my behalf as opposed to working against me like it has done for the majority of my life? And when we can learn to come into that partnership with our ego... All of a sudden, things start coming into your life in rapid fire. Better relationships, better friendships, better career opportunities, better sense of self, better weather. It seems like the weather's always good. Just things start falling into place. And it's not some magic trick. It's that the ego literally creates a heat-seeking missile looking for things that serve our highest good. And it's a really amazing partnership once you start to learn how to work with it. Yeah. I like that perspective. I like the way that you said that. And I help. Sometimes my clients understand the way that that process works, right? That the reticular activating system in the brain, the filtering system about what's relevant and what's not relevant. We've trained mm -hmm. that. And at, like we are set up with that negativity bias, like you said, to seek out the danger and seek out the threats and focus on those. And it's through this process of identifying that, coming to terms with it, and then getting intentional about where we're placing our energy that will start to bring that evidence into our, into our reality so that we can begin to believe different things. And from there, we manifest what we actually want and what actually is meaningful to us. Yep, exactly. What you're saying is interesting too, and I'm curious about your perspective on this. This is a conversation that's been coming up a lot with my clients over the last couple of weeks. I have a, a program running right now that's all about purpose, and we're, we're really tapping into defining those concepts and a lot of the things that we're talking about in this conversation. And one of the obstacles that seems to come up, it seems like subconsciously we have this, this dichotomy that we have to make a decision. Are you going to choose security? Or are you going to choose purpose and passion? And it seems like so many people believe it has to be one or the other. What is your understanding of how is it possible to have both? And if so, how do you create that for yourself? It's fascinating. I actually have a different take on purpose okay. than some people. Um, I think that here's what I believe. 
I believe that my only purpose is me. I'm my purpose. Learning to come back to who I am is my only purpose. Remembering who I am at a soul level is my only purpose. Because when I can remember who I am and I can come from that place and I can come from a place of joy and I can come from a place of love and I can come from a place of acceptance and I can come from a place of compassion and forgiveness and gratitude and peace and all of those higher frequencies, higher frequency states of being, when I can come from those places... Everything else in my life is going to feel good the majority of the time. doesn't mean there aren't going to be shitty moments. So that's all I focus on. And I think what people get obsessed by and consumed by is, well, you know, I'm in this job that's paying for my life, but it doesn't feel like I'm living my purpose. Well, of course not, because there's massive separation. There's a huge gap. Because even if you were working in a business that you, quote, unquote, like to do, if you're not intentionally coming back and doing who you are after six months or a year the honeymoon's gonna be fucking over and you're gonna be miserable again so rather than what i work with on people is rather than trying to find your purpose what about if you just showed up on purpose so you might have a job that you don't love but can you be more purposeful in showing up can you be more on purpose in every single thing that you do can you be more on purpose with your conversations? Can you be more on purpose and purposeful with being present? Can you be more purposeful with your with your spiritual or daily practices? Can you be more purposeful, more intentional, more integrous with just these little things that you do every single day? And what's going to start to happen is that people will start to become more passionate about their lives in general because they're going to start feeling good. Going back to you being in the, in the, in the fitness industry, it's like this, right? I go to the gym. I'm there for a couple of weeks. I'm working my ass off. And all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden I take a look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, shit. Is that my tricep popping out a little bit? Is that an, Do I see some abs there, right? And all of a sudden what happens is I want to work a little bit harder because I'm starting to notice I'm starting to notice that this is working. The practice of showing up and lifting and eating healthy, there I'm starting to see some results. And so when we're on purpose and when we focus on coming back into who we are and we're purposeful in our daily actions and we start to become more passionate about life in general, well, guess what? Guess what's going to start to happen? You're going to be more inclined to attract things into your life that feel aligned with that passion and purpose. And yes, that might result from a career perspective. But ultimately, if you're doing something that you're great at, even if you don't necessarily love it, but it's putting food on the table and you're safe and you're secure and you can pay your bills and maybe you can travel a little bit here and there, or it allows you to save a little bit of money while you're building a side hustle or whatever it is. But if you focus on being purposeful in who you are, well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to become the person who has all the skills, tools, and resources to jump into something that feels like a greater expression of who you are in a way that will be lasting and more sustainable. Yeah. But people just dive into shit thinking like, oh, this is my purpose. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know what it's like to have for it to be your purpose if you have no sense of who you are at the deepest levels of your own humanity? But when you come into that space, and I know I'm being a little bit redundant here, but when you come back to center, and when you focus on you being your greatest purpose and you allow things to flow from there, you will create magic in your life. That I promise. Yeah, I agree. I so agree little, with that. A little, 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 little bit of a different take on, on the purpose conversation. No, I think that's very much 
in a lot like for me that's what i believe as well this whole concept of finding your purpose is a a process of actually spending the time getting to know yourself understanding what your values are understanding what excites you and what does not excite you and shedding the layers of all the shit that's put us on these different paths that might be someone else's or conditioning or what we think we should be doing or how we understand the world. And so it, it it's a process of letting all of that go and spending the actual time and energy. I always say to my clients, like you have to become infatuated with yourself the way that you are infatuated with a new romantic partner. Like when have you ever spent the time exploring within and actually getting curious about yourself and figuring out what does excite you and doing that trial and error and kind of going through that process of dating yourself and understanding you in that way. If you've never done that, how can you place yourself in opportunities or environments that are going to feel inspiring and exciting for you? Yep. And the other thing I'll share with people, especially those that are seeking kind of the idea of monetizing a purpose as someone who's started a bunch of businesses and been an entrepreneur for my entire life is, and I see this happen all the time with people I consult and and work with as well is people have to remember that what might start off as feeling like a purpose ends up feeling like just another job. Mm -hmm. And so don't be so attached to your purpose being something that you have to monetize. Like it's really, I love people who feel like their purpose is, you know, supporting you know underprivileged children for example and so they volunteer and they create acts of service but they have a business that pays their bills and allows them the freedom to kind of explore that part of their life and so it's a very slippery slope for people to seek the monetization of a purpose it's very slippery because before you know it i promise it's a job and all of a sudden this thing that you loved you can learn to loathe very quickly yeah, it becomes tainted. And that's a big conversation. Yeah. And, and then the program that we're in right now is understanding that idea, exactly what you just said, that purpose can come from many different aspects of your life. It doesn't have to be career. Correct. It's great if it is, but there's so many other outlets for that. Millions. There's an infinite number of potentialities. Infinite. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. Mm. What advice would you give someone who is feeling stuck or has has an idea of something that they think would fulfill them, but they have that fear? Uh, they're not sure how to start or they have the fear that's preventing them from playing bigger. How do you advise someone who's in that position? Because I feel like that is something that so many people are in. Yeah. Um, action breeds clarity and action removes all doubt. So just take a step. Take one step every single day towards that thing. I think that the biggest mistake that I see a lot of people make is they think that they need to burn the ships and go all in and, you know, you know, you know, leave whatever relationship they're in, quit their job, eat, pray, love. Like it's, 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 it really doesn't work that way. Be intelligent, put yourself in a position to win. Not everyone is programmed to look fear in the face and say, fuck off. They're just not, right? There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of healing that gets to take place. And so knowing that, what you coming back to this idea of coming into partnership with the ego, what's really important is learning how to win. What are some small, micro, measurable goals that you can put in place over the course of even a week that gets you started on this path? So there's a 
If there's something that you think you would find fulfillment in, take a step, research the thing, call an organization that you can, that you can volunteer with to be a part of it, start showing up at some events, just take steps in that direction. So again, the ego sees that it's safe and over time, the compound effect will take place. But this idea of going from A to Z overnight is one of the great myths. One of the one of the reasons people do not succeed is they go, they can see from A to Z, and then all of a sudden they're on steps B, C, D. E doesn't look the way they thought it was supposed to look. All of the old fears come back up. All of the projections come up. All the stories come back, and they go, yeah, I knew it. I'm not cut out for this. Rather than saying, I'm just going to take this step step approach and I'm going to allow the compound effect to work on my behalf and here's something I'll share that I believe in dramatically is that big things happen when small things get all the love big things happen when small things get all the love it's the old question of would you rather have a million dollars deposited into your bank today or would you rather have a penny doubled every day for the next 30 days mm-hmm. and a penny doubled every day for the next 30 days is five point six five point two million dollars or something along those lines but it's those daily measurables that people don't want to take action on and again action breeds clarity action removes all doubt so whatever the thing is that you have an interest in pursuing take daily steps towards the pursuit of that thing without believing that it's this all or nothing thing all or nothing usually ends up in nothing yeah, I've never heard that, actually, that it usually ends up in nothing, all or nothing, or black and white thinking, and all these other cognitive ways that we distort reality are something that we focus on a lot in the work that I do with my clients. But I've never thought about the fact that, yeah, it usually ends up in the nothing category. And as a personal trainer, that was something that I understood really deeply. And part of the reason why the fitness industry didn't resonate for me, because I know that extremes are not where the results come from. If you cannot keep the result, if it's just a moment in time, then it's not a result. So if something is not sustainable for the long term, I would never recommend it to anyone. And that doesn't matter if it's fitness or anything else. So exactly what you're saying, just creating those little wins for yourself, moving yourself in the right direction, even if it's a millimeter every single day is going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah. And of course, listen, you hear entrepreneurs say things like, well, I went all in and I and I, I, I did this and I did that. Okay, granted, and you took steps every single day. And the difference is not everyone is programmed emotionally, mentally, intellectually, or spiritually to tolerate the risk and the uncertainty that comes with the suffering of going all in. I'm one of those people. I know how to suffer. I'm comfortable in the world of uncertainty. Most people aren't. That's why I advise against it. You have to learn how to win because if you don't know how to tolerate uncertainty, the uncertainty will absolutely kill you. Yeah. Every time. Absolutely. And I think uncertainty in that sense is the same as that concept that we're talking about in so many conversations versus security, right? It's like, I'm just going to stay in my comfort zone because everything outside of that is too big and too scary. There's too much. So I'm just going to cling to what I know. So this, this idea of getting your ego on your side is actually the roadmap out of that kind of way of thinking. It sounds like from your perspective. Yes, absolutely. And can you walk us through again, how to do that? Like it, is it the process of 
finding that evidence to support a new way of thinking that's going to get the ego to support you differently? Yep. So it's that it's those three steps, right? So I call it arc, right? And okay. like a like a like a character story arc, right? So the A is for uh, acknowledging, accepting accountability, right? What are the ways in which I contributed to the results that I have right now? R is for reframing or recontextualizing, right? What actually happened at that time? What actually happened? How can I look at it through a lens of forgiveness and compassion where I originally developed this story that I'm unworthy or I'm unlovable or whatever it would be. And then C is for create. What do I want to become? Who do I want to become? What am I committed to creating on a consistent daily basis such that my new identity can take shape and can take hold? Those are kind of my little re-steps, if you will. Amazing. That's so helpful. That's so great. Thank you. How are you working with people right now? Are you doing mostly speaking? Are you working? Um, are you coaching? Are you working with people one on one? How are you sharing all of this this wisdom and these um, amazing tools? Yeah, I'm doing I'm, I'm doing some one on one. I accept very few people at a time. Um, a lot of my focus right now is on on building a company. Um, I am. Am I allowed to give a little self promotion? Of course. Um, I'm launching a, I'm launching a course at the end of at the end of the month um, where I'm going to be inviting people into a lot of these practices and this and this conversation and applicable tools that I've collected over the last 20 years that I've been um, in this space. Um, so that's my that's my main path. And then yeah, I, I'll I'll speak and train and coach and all that good stuff. But ultimately, like. I don't know. I do a lot of it through Instagram. You know, you've seen my content for a couple of years now, and I'm a really big believer in giving most of it away, you know, if not all of it. So I just try and serve and, you know, and and give back. I had, like I said, I had incredible mentors and coaches in my life. And the through line with all of them was, listen, I'll I'll teach you everything I've ever learned. And you just got to promise me that when you get to quote unquote there, however we want to find there, that you just turn around and pay it forward. And so, you know, that's my deal. And I do emailing and all that stuff, but you know, I'm also, I don't know. I, uh, I'm not huge on wanting to play the algorithm game. So it's not like I'm really consistent or any of that stuff. I just, you know, I just kind of do it when I feel like it. <laughs> yeah. I relate to that, <laughs> but you do give away so much. Um, and you have, you're, you're adding so much value in your community on Instagram. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And for someone who's newer to maybe the coaching journey or the entrepreneurial journey, that's a really scary thing to give away content for free and value for free. What advice would you give to someone who's trying to navigate that and who isn't sure how to set those boundaries or figure that out? Yeah, I mean, here's what I believe. I mean, if you look at the, if you want to look at it from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective, the truth of the matter is, is that if you can give people some of your best stuff for free when then you when you do go asking for money what they observe is well wait a minute if they gave me all of this for free what happens when i actually invest with them Mm -hmm. and that from a psychology perspective from a consumer psychology perspective is really powerful it's really powerful and the other reality is this is that you know there's not a ton of leverage in the coaching model, right? So you're either doing one-to-one or you're doing workshops and yes, you can create evergreen and subscriptions and things like that. But ultimately, if you care deeply about impacting people at the highest level, you got to understand there's going to be a lot of people in this world that can never afford to pay for your products, Mm -hmm. but don't they deserve to learn? Don't they deserve to 
learn over time and maybe put themselves in a position so that one day, based on what they've learned from your free teachings, they are able to impact themselves in a better way. They can have a little bit more money. Maybe down the road they do spend some money with you. But, you know, my attitude has always been um, free your mind of fear and abundance will follow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. And I've, I've experienced that in my on my own journey as well. I was terrified of giving away things for free and really coming from scarcity and fear. And the more generous you get, the more generous the universe gets. And the more people can see who you are and what you, what you, you know, value and what you're talking about and what you're passionate about that benefits everybody. So it's been a really cool journey for me to release some of that. Not saying that I have it all figured out, but the more that I, figure out what I really want to talk about and just share that as authentically as possible. It always magnetizes the right people to me. Yeah. It's also far more fulfilling in my opinion. It's like if I only want to sell everything that I have, then ultimately I'm just looking at people as products. And if I actually believe in what I'm teaching, then I really get to look at people from a peep from people's perspective. And here's what I can tell you. When I was, when I was coming up as an entrepreneur, when I was young, you know, 23, 24 years old, I didn't have the money to invest $2,500 to go to certain events or to hire a coach or whatever it is. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, buying a book for, you know, $12 back then was a stretch for me, but that's what I could access. And so that's where I'd invest my money. And I've made quite frankly, Millions of dollars based on what I've learned through free content. Millions. All these, you know, all these, all these, my my office is filled with books. You know, I listened to, I used to listen to free Jim Rohn audios over and over and over again. And to this day, the stuff I learned from Jim Jim Rohn has massively impacted my life. And it was all free. I never paid a dime for it. And so I look at that and I go, well, what if there's another Zach out there? Desperate, hungry, willing desire. You know what I mean? What if there's another me out there that isn't in a place where they can afford it right now, but if I can just provide some semblance of peace, some semblance of inspiration, some semblance of something they can hook onto and go, you know what? I can implement that into my life and I can get results. That's really fucking fulfilling for me, Riley. Like that feels really good. And there's enough money to go around. There's, there's an abundance of money. Making money, quite frankly, is, is easy once you learn how to make money. It is. But can you find a way to put yourself in a position so you put people over profits? And what I've learned for sure is that when you put people over profits, the profits will come faster than you know what to do with. Yeah, I believe that. And that was so, so well said. And I've never, I've never given that much thought to how much not like, I actually do talk about how lucky we are to be in this generation and have all of these resources and we have so much at our fingertips and so much of that is free and so to contribute to that and to continue to like you said pay it forward and thinking about those versions of people that exist out there that are similar to where we were at even just a few years ago is is so fulfilling to even just think about and i've experienced that recently where 
sometimes I post something, I'm like, I don't even know if this makes sense. And then someone will message me and like, it happened twice yesterday. Someone's like, I needed to see that so badly. Thank you so much. And sometimes it's the content that gets no real engagement either, but it's landing with people. And that to me is what matters the most. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. I had that conversation yesterday with one of my clients too about hosting events and and retreats and things and sometimes we get so in our head about the numbers and what we want it to look like that we forget that even if it's just one person that's a human that's a human life that you're impacting positively and they're trusting you and they're investing in in what they believe that you can help them achieve and that's really what this is all about yeah and i you know i'm someone who i've spent the last probably 13 or 14 years just giving it all away for free. Not just my, you know, this type of work, but also business consulting and things like that. Now I'm 41 years old and I have people knocking on my door all the time wanting to get into business with me because I just spent so much time creating an environment of value and credibility. And the other thing I've developed for myself, and I'm really, I'll say this with pride is I've developed a really great reputation. When I get referred to somebody, it's you have to work with Zach and here's why. Because I've I've given and given and served and served. And people know that if they're if they're gonna refer me to someone who's gonna hire me and pay me, they know that that person is going to get the best of what I have because I've already served it to them for free. And that to me is priceless. Priceless. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. And I think that you're right about that. You, you know, you have this energy about you where you are so generous with your knowledge and so giving and it 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 makes people excited to learn from you. And it creates a, a different environment for learning where people don't feel like they're about to, you know, get pitched or, you know, it's a trap. It, it just feels safe. And I think that's a really important ingredient to actual growth and learning is actually being able to let your guard down. Hundred percent, absolutely it is, absolutely, and we absolutely and we hundred percent live in an environment now where people use all kinds of manipulation tactics to influence people who don't feel safe, but they feel, but they move into action and spending money with these people because they feel threatened actually, and people use fear tactics and all these dark arts of marketing and media. To, to take advantage of people. And something I say all the time is that there are way too many people buying bullshit from people who buy their own bullshit. People buying bullshit from people who buy their own bullshit? Yeah, there are people who are buying, too many people are buying bullshit yeah. from people who buy their own bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's such a good insight. I think that the more yeah so what you're saying is this the safer you can feel the more real you can be with yourself and that will lead you to investing in yourself in more meaningful ways as opposed to that that scarcity and that fear yeah look nobody wants to be closed nobody wants to be hard sold into anything nobody wants to be manipulated in anything it's no different than in dating, right? Like you don't want to move into a relationship with somebody where you feel like you've been accosted, where you feel like you've been 
um, manipulated, where you feel like a person has played off of all of your insecurities, where you feel like you're being used, whether it be for, for sex or for money or whatever those things. It's so unhealthy and it's so toxic and there's nothing fruitful about going into those environments. And the, the, the world of personal growth and coaching and whatnot utilizes a, a lot of those same things. It's, and it's, it's really unhealthy. It's really toxic. And so, yes, like how can you actually grow if you're not making empowered decisions? If you're not choosing from a place of, yes, this is true for me and yes, this aligns with me and yes, this person is who that they, who they say they are, right? How, how could you not? I mean, quite frankly, what we see a lot in this world of like influencers and coaches is a shitload of Stockholm syndrome where people are essentially obsessed with their, obsessed and addicted with their own abusers. And I know that's a hot take and I don't give a fuck because I, you know, I'm entering this space. I don't, I'm entering this space in the full knowing that I have every intention of coming in in a very different way. Cause here's what I know for sure. I know for sure because I've seen it that if you were to pull back the curtain on a lot of people's favorite people who they're spending millions of dollars with, they'd be sorely disappointed. And that's what this industry deserves is who are you when the lights go off, when there's no camera, when the curtain has been drawn, who are you then? Mm. Who are you then? Show me that person. That's who I want to invest with. Are you actually living what you're preaching? And most aren't. Scary to think about, but yeah, you're right. And I, I know, I appreciate your, your candidness around that because it is a vulnerable thing we're you know this is vulnerable work that we're doing and it's scary to think I like what you're talking about comparing it to dating because you know we need to know what we're getting ourselves into and I always think about the fact that like just in your inner world alone there needs to be so much compassion and so much gentleness and so much space to make mistakes and get messy that's where we actually grow from if you're constantly beating yourself up you're never going to get to where you want to be. And it just gets so much more convoluted when you're bringing other people into that equation. And the people that you're learning from should be 10 times more safe than your own internal world so they can help you create that. Correct. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. What do you enjoy coaching about or focusing on or speaking about more? Because it seems like you're, you're so knowledgeable when it comes to business and sales, especially. Do you have a preference when it comes to like the personal development side of things or the business sales side of things? Um, it really depends on the environment that I'm in and who I'm sitting with. The reality is I can't do business without personal development. So even when I'm doing business consulting, I'm incorporating personal growth. I'm incorporating um, aspects of, so for example, like when I work with brands, I'm incorporating aspects of the founder's own humanity and their own personal growth journey into how they tell their company's story, things like that, right? So uh, to me, they they go hand in hand. One doesn't go without the other. And if you put a gun to my head and said, okay, um, we're going to hire you to actually come speak at this conference, and there's going to be a bunch of entrepreneurs in the, in the room, and you can either speak about a topic on personal development and leadership, or you can speak about, you know, sales and marketing and branding. I'm going to, I'm going to choose personal development and leadership a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. No question. Yeah. No question. Because what I believe to be true and I've said, and I actually knowing that you're referencing the Nashville keynote that you saw me give, 
I said this during that talk, I believe was the first time I ever said it, is that who you are being is more important than what you are doing. This story that I tagged you in, that I looked back at our conversation from 2019, I wrote that on that. So obviously Uh, that stuck for me. Right on. Yeah, I really believe that. So I'd rather focus on conversations around people's beingness. Um, Look, we live in a really, uh, we live in a world that is fascinatingly um, as challenging as it's ever been because of the advancements in social media and technology and Mm -hmm. AI and bots. And we live in a world of where, you know, you'd think tolerance would have increased and tolerance seems to be rapidly decreasing. And one of the things that I really value is ideally speaking is how can I show up as a, as, as, as potentially a model, if you will, or an example of what like what compassion can look like create more people like that. If we can inspire more people to come back into their own center and to come from a place of their true nature, then maybe just, maybe just maybe we can flip the script. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said about the personal development piece being inside of business inevitably is the really important thing and something that I think is missing. I've done a lot of business coaching in the last couple of years and most of it disgusted me to be perfectly honest because it was <laughs> yeah. I, I would imagine I can appreciate that for sure it yeah, and you essentially at, taught me how I didn't want to do business and how I didn't want to show up and what I didn't yeah. want to do and how I did not want my you know how I don't want to be perceived and where my energy is not coming from so everything that you're saying is resonating a lot with me and I'm actually helping a few a few women build businesses of their own. And it really actually is exactly how you described purpose. It's just coming from that, that place of this is exactly who I am. This is exactly what I'm passionate about. This is how I can help people and doing that in a really genuine way with no smoke and mirrors. It's so simple. I don't know why the business, the coaching industry wants to complicate it and make it feel so slimy when really it is just so simple and it just comes back to that ability to just be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So one last thing to take it full circle back to the conversation of mushrooms and microdosing. This is something that I get so many questions about. People are always curious or seeking guidance or wanting to get started, but not quite sure, have some questions. There's a lot of hesitancy in beginning a microdosing journey, and I had it as well. I played with the idea for about a year, and I was scared, and I just was unsure. So I'm curious your story. I have a whole other episode about my experience with microdosing, the, the, the fear that played into me waiting longer than I wish I had to get started, and then my experience through my first year of the the microdosing adventure, but I would love to hear a bit more about yours. Yeah. So the, the first thing that I recommend to everybody that's investigating this as a possibility in their lives is to pick up a book by Michael Pollan called how to change your mind, mm-hmm. uh, how to change your mind by Michael Pollan. And the reason I recommend that to everyone is because Michael Pollan is an investigative journalist and he's a brilliant writer and storyteller. But he's a cynic and he's a skeptic. And so he took a cynical, skeptical approach to this new kind of um, 
this new iteration of the psychedelic plant medicine movement. And what he talks about in that book is why people are hesitant to say yes to psychedelics and understanding the very real conditioning that our generation has experienced from governmental agencies and regulatory bodies to make us believe that psychedelics and plant medicine are dangerous. And so that's the very first part of the book is understanding why you believe what you think you believe about psychedelics versus the truth around psychedelics. So that's the, the, I highly recommend that book to just get some understanding around again, why you think you, what you think you know about psychedelics that just isn't true. Okay. So for me, um, I've been on a spiritual seeking journey since I was seven years old. As I mentioned, my, my closest friend died of leukemia. Mm. Um, and I challenged organized religion. I had a lot of death in my life at a very young age. And I just couldn't understand this idea of religion. I didn't believe that there was anything such as an omnipotent or omnibenevolent or uh, omnipresent God. Uh, I studied philosophy in college, which created even more questions for me. Um, I was just always seeking some sort of empirical evidence, like whether there is a higher power or not. And it was something that I was really suffering with. And I've had moments and interactions where I felt this higher presence or this energy source or whatever we want to call it, but my intellectual mind just wouldn't really allow me to surrender to it, uh, regardless of some of my experiences. And then when I was 30 years old, 29 years old, excuse me, um, I found myself in a state of deep depression once again. And I couldn't quite figure it out. I wasn't finishing projects. I felt really lazy. I was procrastinating all the time. And I went to my mom, who, like I said, is a psychotherapist, and I said, you know, I think I want to get back on antidepressants to stabilize my, my mind a little bit. Um, I had been on them temporarily when I was suicidal just to stabilize. And I went to my psychiatrist, and she started asking me all these questions, and she said, hey, has anyone, you know, kind of proposed the idea that you're ADD, that you're neurodivergent? And I was like, no, never. People have always just told me that I'm lazy and not living up to my potential. And she said, well... I want to prescribe you Adderall, but I also want you to read this book called Driven to Distraction by a guy named Dr. Jerry Hollowell, who's like the preeminent, you know, PhD in adult and uh, adolescent ADD. And I started reading this book and I was like, holy shit, this is me. This okay. is me. Mm -hmm. And I felt freedom. I felt so free, Riley. I felt so free because intuitively I felt like there's just something not adding up here. I have all these people in my life telling me that I have all this potential, that I... Have, that I'm that I'm destined to create great things in my life, that I'm really intelligent, and yet my results weren't demonstrating that. So I couldn't put it together. So when I learned that I was ADD, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This makes so much sense to me. This is amazing. Yeah. Thank God. So I got on Adderall, and admittedly, um, it helped me quite a bit. But after about three and a half or four months, I was like, I really don't want to be on pharmaceuticals. It doesn't feel good for me. Um, so I came off of them and started using a variety of other nootropics and stimulants and, mm -hmm. you know, holistic approaches to the well-being that would help to a degree. And over the course of the next 10 years, I did great. I, I really did, uh, using those mechanisms. And then COVID happened. Um, and when COVID happened, I once again was really, really depressed. And this time I couldn't figure it out. And the reason I couldn't figure it out is here I am. I'm living at the time in La Jolla, California, which um, for those that are listening, um, may be familiar, may not be. But La Jolla is a little cove 
village in San Diego. It is um, one of the most affluent places in the country. We had a beautiful home, 4,000 square feet, three blocks from the ocean. I have a wonderful business, a wife who loves me, like on paper, everything, mm-hmm. right? So, so much so that I actually felt like an asshole for feeling depressed. Yeah. Like I really felt the shame. I felt the, sh- I felt the shame because I'm sitting here going like, I'm grateful and I'm miserable. Something's not right. So I go see a functional medicine doctor and he decides that he wants to do some tests on my neurotransmitters. So I do some tests on my neurotransmitters and I get the test result back and our neurotransmitters are things like oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, all those, right? The feel good chemicals and whatnot. And he's, he gets my results back and I'm probably getting the, 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 the range of points wrong, but let's say, let's use serotonin, for example, and say a healthy range is anywhere from like 40 to like 120 points, right? Okay. I was at like, I was at like a seven. Oh, fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So he looks at my result and he looks at me and he goes, Zach, he goes, I am dumbfounded and shocked that you've been able to achieve the things you have in your life based on your brain function. He said, I'm shocked. And it was the opposite effect of the day I found out I was ADD. When I found out I was ADD, it was freedom. When he told me this, and I learned about this, that there was an actual chemical deficiency in these in my neurotransmitters, it actually made me really, really scared because now what I realized was I didn't have enough tricks in the bag to keep using just sheer willpower to create. I was exhausted. I was just burnt out. I didn't have it. So that was the second part of, and we're going to, we're going to come all the way full circle to to Michael Pollan's book. The third part was that I knew that I was at a point in my life where I was stagnating from a feeling stretched perspective. I hadn't had a coach in years. I'd hired a couple of different coaches. I'd fired them within a week. Um, I'm pretty hard to coach because of the work that I do and the experience that I have. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and no one just, no one resonated with me. And so I, but I knew I was like, I'm so stagnant. I have to stretch myself. I have to expand my mind. I have to expand my consciousness. I have to keep growing. And so I pick up this book and all of a sudden I'm learning about, oh my God, psychedelics have the ability to dramatically impact neuroplasticity and neurotransmitters in the brain. So all of a sudden prong number one, road number one, I look at it and go, oh my God, this might be a solution. Number two is based on all of the spiritual encounters that people who use psychedelics and plant medicine had experienced, I go, Maybe this is my access to God source or to the, you know, highest power, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Number two. Number three, I go, okay, if these plants, if mushrooms and ayahuasca and wachuma are so powerful that they can heal my brain, potentially, that they can help people with PTSD and anxiety and depression and recovering alcoholics, if it can do all of those things and it can also connect people to beyond their five senses into a realm of, again, we'll call it God, source, spirit, whatever's comfortable for the listeners, then this must be the most intelligent thing on the planet. So I knew it was my teacher. Those three things. Mm. And so that's when I said yes to um, starting to microdose. Um, and then soon after I said yes to starting a microdose, I hired a qualified therapist who facilitated a psilocybin MDMA um, session for me. Amazing. Um, and I, 
and I haven't looked back. I've been deep in the medicine work now for over a year and a half. Um, I'm actually working on developing um, and helping with some some retreat companies that are already existence. Um, ayahuasca was profound for me. And here's something I want to make really clear. Uh, it's really important. Don't go do psychedelics just because you're hearing me say what I experienced. If you're interested in doing psychedelics, please do your research. Please be fully informed. Please go do it with people who can provide you with a safe space, who can provide you with integration coaching, with people who know what they're doing. It's not to party. It's not recreational. Do with people who are ceremonial, who are student, who are stewards of the medicine, who are custodians of the medicine. Don't go do it just because you think it's the cool thing to do. This is deep work. It's intelligent work. It's spiritual work. It's remarkably profound work, and it's so important that you approach it from a place of intentionality. And it's super important, Riley, that I give those disclaimers because um, I'm already seeing it. Re it's already happened, right? People hear, you know, someone, oh, okay, well, they're successful, so they did ayahuasca, so let me just go, oh, I heard my friend can get me to an ayahuasca ceremony next week. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, be, be intentional and don't, yeah, don't go do it just for the sake of doing it. Do it because it's calling you yeah. and you'll know when it's calling. Thank yeah. you for saying that because I think that it is trending and it's something that a lot of people do just to do. And if you're not integrating it properly, it's not going to benefit you and it could harm you. So I think it's really important to, to mention that. So yeah, thank you for saying that. So yeah, I'm just uh, super grateful for what, um, what the medicines brought into my life and, um, and in my wife's life as well. And, uh, yeah, profoundly grateful for our, uh, oldest of friends would be the best way to put them. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And actually, that wasn't the answer I was expecting, but it was the answer that I needed to hear because I'm on a very similar journey right now, kind of coming to terms with an adult ADHD diagnosis that I've rejected for the last 15 to 18 years and decided that I could do things my own way and my stubborn you know, way of being. Um, and I've reached a point, the, the point, the, the the part of your story that really resonated was the the point of fear. And I feel like I'm in that place right now where it's like, okay, I don't think I can outmuscle this. Like I'm really feeling that like, okay, I've, I have done well, I've done well for myself, but I'm, I, I can feel that I'm at a upper limit of what I can force myself to cognitively accomplish and organizing my thoughts is getting, it feels like it's getting harder all the time. So that story was very interesting to me. And has your microdosing, helped you with your ADHD? Yeah, significantly. Because the other, well, my, so my ADD, typically speaking, would manifest as anxiety and depression. Mm, okay. That's how it manifest. Um, so because I couldn't organize my thoughts and because I would procrastinate, I would very quickly start to feel anxious or I'd start to feel depressed. And so the microdosing has made a significant difference in this. And speaking of you being in Vancouver, back in Vancouver, um, Gabor Mate has Ugh. some fascinating work on ADD, and, on ADD and psychedelics. So oh, there okay. might be something there for you and for the listeners who are also on a similar journey. Um, he has some really fascinating theories about ADD and um, the reality of it and how psychedelics and healing trauma can actually play a huge role in the correction of it. It's really interesting. 
I'm obsessed with him. Um, his book, Scattered Minds, is... Pardon? Yeah. It's hard not to be. He's great. <laughs> yeah. His book, Scattered Minds, like, completely changed my perspective on what ADHD is, especially in adulthood, and how it manifests, and how it was actually affecting me. And that, I think, has been part of my unmasking journey and, like, getting really honest with myself about, mm-hmm. oh, like this isn't normal. And a lot of the things that I am still struggling with actually relate to that and probably nothing else. So I I will definitely look into that. And that's great advice for anyone who's listening who can relate to that. I think you're right. I think I've been microdosing very like willy nilly, just like very casually, not any specific dosage or schedule, which I know can make a huge difference, but it has benefited me massively in terms of my mental health and stabilizing my mood, creativity, just general overall well-being mentally and emotionally has been significant. I also suffered with really bad anxiety and really intense kind of low mood, just kind of volatile mood. And it helped me so much to stabilize and to raise my vibration and to become more of who I actually am and less of that, you know, all of the things we were talking about in the stuckness, really, it helped me to get curious and unlock that for myself. So I'm really curious about how I can get a little more intentional with it and, and help myself in terms of my focus and my, my ADHD. Yeah. And one other resource, I'm just, forgive me for typing. I'm trying to make sure I get the right address for it. Um, is a friend of mine, and he was just here over the course of the weekend. His name's Paul Austin. He runs a company called Third Wave, and it's all about microdosing. So there's all kinds of resources on there, different protocols, education. So it's thethirdwave.co. Yeah, I know that website. And um, it's just an abundance of information, and it's run by a guy. Again, his name's Paul Austin. He just spent, he was just here in Austin spending a weekend with us at our house. Amazing. Um, Who's very, He's very committed to doing things the right way and to educating people in a healthy way. So it's another great resource for people that are interested in microdosing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing all of this and for your time and energy today. This this was a conversation I needed in many ways, and I'm sure it will be for many others. So I, I so appreciate you taking the time to come and share with us. Well, I'm honored to be of service. So thanks again for thinking of me and having me come, come on. It's appreciate a pleasure. It. Where can people find you? Uh, Instagram's cool, just at Zach Slogan. Um, and then I, I don't have the link up there. I'm really just bad at this whole thing. Um, if they want to hop into my newsletter, if that's cool, it's just zackslogan.com slash newsletter. Um, that's it. Simple. No big deal. You know, nothing fancy. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much. And I look forward to continuing to see what's next for you. My pleasure. Thanks, Riley. Appreciate you.